The following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. Okay, we welcome our online listeners. We are starting to get closer and closer to a series within our series. And that series is going to be uh, detailing the spiritual gifts under the area of the fruit of the social area of life. Before we do that, we need to talk about discipline for the social area of life. Someone please review for us what the word discipline means. And discipline does come from the word disciple. Discipline is most commonly uh, connected to spanking someone, giving them consequences, right? That's not even God's view of disciplining children. Okay? So when we use the word like this, well, what Abby functions is functions in is a part of a discipline that's found in the Christian church. What are we saying? It's a method. It's a method. That's what she's saying. Or that's what the person is saying about her is that she's part of the discipline of Christianity. It is a method. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. Those are the only three elements that are given to us as a part of the full discipline of Christ. He is this method. He is the life source that the method will be empowered by. And he is the engaged one. Truth comes from betrothed in the Hebrew. It means you're engaged. So when he says, I am the truth, we think it's researching and digging up things. That is not what it means. Truth means, are you or are you not my bride? Am I betrothed to you? Are you betrothed to me? So you have life source, you have betrothment, locks you into the life source, and you have method. Is there any better way to explain the exchanged life? There isn't. Life source, locked in, permanent agreement, you're engaged. For those of you that do not know this, in the Hebrew, when you're engaged, it's considered married. Just because you don't consummate for a year does not mean you are not married. That's why Joseph, the term used in the Greek, when he was going to put Mary away, it was divorce her. And they hadn't even had their public uh, wedding feast yet. So it is locked in. Then you have method. So that's what we're talking about here. Method for the social area of life. So let's kind of jump in here and see uh, what we can learn about that, maybe. The Word tells us to do nothing from selfish, selfishness or self-conceit, but to humbly set our minds on the mind of Christ from within when it, ta- when it comes to considering another more important than ourselves. So when we talk about self-conceit, 
What does that mean to you, Godship? It is a running theme. Where is self-conceit born from? I mean, outside of selfishness, but pride. Where is pride born from? Remember the Hebrew now. (laughs) Pride is one of the 13 names of Satan. So let's say... Satan and his little uh, demon leaders sat around the uh, emergent table in their little spiritual planning sessions, and they start coming up with ways that they can literally put terminology in place because human minds hunt for terminology. The reason why we came up with the dictionary, the Exchange Life Dictionary this past month, is because that is a true statement. People need to know the definition of terms. They want to be told how to feel and what to think. What's that? They want to be told how to feel and what to think by terminology. Right. Or they may not understand what people are saying within the church or wherever. So therefore, a dictionary is in place. That's what Daniel Webster said. People cannot create a foundation for living unless they have definition of terms. Daniel Webster. So he sat down and he put into a book every word he possibly could think of that was being used in Young America and came up with the very first edition of Webster's Dictionary. So anytime you didn't know what someone was saying, you ran to Webster's Dictionary and you went over and you found it and you know later on they put little pictures by it and They told you the origin, whether it was Latin or, you know. And then you looked at it and you go, oh, that's what this is. Now, there's there's goodness to that. But at the same time, there's danger. Why would it be dangerous to have a dictionary defining the language of a culture? Exactly. Exactly. Very simple. Okay, now back to our little satanic meeting. <laughs> so Satan's at the head of the table, and all those old demon leaders are around the oval table, and they're planning and thinking about certain words that they can drop into a society, social life. In order to control the people because control of people comes through definition of terms. Tree of knowledge. Real simple deal. Okay, this is not complicated. It didn't take anything more than a kindergartner to figure out that all you got to do is set a bunch of people around the table to decide how they want me to think. Pride. Let's drop the word pride into the standardized dictionary to define you are well pleased with your child. How many have said or were told by your parents, I'm proud of you? Now, Hebrew, it's one of the 13 names of Satan. 
Satan actually got one of his names inside cultures all over the world to have one of his names repeated all day long in Christian families. That messes with my mind. And then there are seven things that God hates. Remember that out of Proverbs? How many of those seven things have got the word pride mentioned? Four. Where he says, I hate, hate. I mean, God doesn't say hate very often. And he says, I hate. And then four associations with pride. Okay. So Satan, back to this little satanic meeting, we're all, they're all sitting around the table and they're going, man, let's see if that's something that, you know, that guy there hates. Let's somehow get it into the normal, natural, neutral thinking of humans. Now, so they drop it in and it's working. It's manifesting all over the world in every culture all over the world. Now, How can we get this word pride to multiply faster than any other word in the entire world? What's that? Propaganda. Probably what? Propaganda. Okay, propaganda by what? What would make a parent proud? Good grades. Education. Competition. Competition. You guys have just been handed the golden key to human life out of Satan's treasure chest. He has to have competition. Pastors competing with pastors. Media departments competing with media departments. The, the uh, numbers in the churches competing with the one down the street. On and on and on and on. That's the only way that he can get this word pride, his one of his favorite little names that God hates, get manifested and to grow like a cancer in the world. Competition. If you took competition out of this world, stay with me on this, If you took competition out of the world completely, what do you have? Just give me an occupation that you would have. That does not function off of pride and competition. Really? There's no charities that compete? So let's look at that. Competition is based on one simple factor. Numbers. Whether it's numbers on a scoreboard, whether it's numbers in a marketing results, whether it's numbers in book sales, whether it's numbers in whatever, the basis that makes competition work is numbers. Who's winning? Number wise, Satan or God? He's winning hands down. So do you understand that the number system that Satan used and designed around that little planning table of his 
is the very system God's going to use to demolish him in the end. And what locks him into deception, stay with me on this, what locks him into deception is the numbers. No matter what you say to him, no matter what he reads in the book of Revelation, no matter what he hears preachers preaching every Sunday or every day all day long around the world, it boils down to one thing. He's saying, I've got the numbers to prove I am going to win this battle. The road to destruction is wide. And many are on it. The road to heaven is narrow. And few are on it. If we stick to the numbering coding system of the Hebrew, it is 90-10, which is where we get our tithing percentages. 90% are going to go to hell. 10% are not. I'm driving by a funeral parlor this week, and it just dawned on me. I just had this aha moment that is not really complicated in principle. But it was a reality check for me is that the person inside that funeral home, odds are they they went to hell. Now, I don't know who they were or what, but but just with the numbers. If they were of a 10%, they were a rare person. And then I got to thinking the preacher's probably in there preaching that hang on because you're going to get to see old George here in no time. Really? We're going to get to see him? Old Christians are now going to be able to be released and go into hell to see their relatives? No, probably not. But what if they are evil themselves and they're going to hell where they get to see their relatives? Afraid not, because hell is isolation. Darkness from being able to see another being anywhere of eternity. You're stuck in a black hole and you're just dropping through this black hole forever. You think about the level of lying and stealing and cheating of God's principles and truths that's going on around us and it if you just let the Spirit minister to you, it will shock your system. And the whole time Satan's going, Finney, you're the liar. I've got the numbers. I've got the scoreboard numbers saying, I'm winning this game. Liar. When we're not the liars. Why is it the truth sayers are always... The liars. Because it doesn't match the odds and the numbers that are in the world today. So when someone says, well, so-and-so's fellowship grew to 10,000 people, and they say the Spirit of God is obviously there. (laughs) Really? Where do you get these numbers? And comparisons to validate truth. The more truthful the person is, meaning you too, not just your preacher, the more truthful the person is, the more the numbers are going to shrink. Because of a faithful few. When Paul was discipling Timothy, he said this, 
Timothy, I need to have you go out and find thousands of men that are willing to take this truth of who Christ is in you and pass it on to the churches. Is that what he said? No, he said, like, find three. Yeah. Find a few faithful men that you can entrust these truths to. Well, we all know Billy Graham's testimony itself is filled with this story. We all know that all it takes is one teacher, one Sunday school teacher. Whoever God used to influence the Sunday school teacher and all the way back, you may even find that that guy that led Billy Graham to the Lord was literally one of Timothy's disciples. Who knows? Just takes one or two. Whereas Satan rubs it in your face to go, you're not getting the numbers you want. You're losing ground. You're, you're actually slipping a little bit physiologically, psychologically, and spiritually. God starts from spirit to psychological to the human body. Satan goes from the human body to psyche to spiritual deterioration. Only you can determine if your focus is externally method discipline because that's where disappointment comes from is this constant drive to be disciplined so all Satan has to do is pull the pins out you know I'm going to admit something that I did with Abby when she was very little I went through um, some formal training with a rage therapist in Denver, Colorado. He's still to this day known worldwide for rage therapy, the author of Rage Therapy. I happened to become friends with this gentleman. He lived up in Evergreen. We lived down in Denver. And I started commuting up there to get trained in how to do rage therapy. So in this rage therapy, what they taught us, in fact, the first time I went into his office, I walked through this hallway that was, oh, it had to be at least three or four feet. So there was a door to his office, and there was this tiny little hallway, and then another door. So I'm in there, and he's, you know, talking to me about this process he's going to take me through. And, and, um, and he said, I have actually built an office within an office. This whole, my whole office is built where it has air as insulation all the way around my office. So nobody can hear what goes on in this room. And my response to that was, cool. I thought that was just cool. So here, he's, we're getting ready for this session I'm going to observe. And they go out and they get this kid and the kid comes in, sets down and, you know, he seemed like kind of a cute little blondie. And uh, he's sitting there and his mother is sitting on the couch with him and I'm sitting over in the therapy chair, you know, with the other, with him as the primary therapist. And he starts, you know, doing his deal and about 20 minutes in, he starts tickling this kid. He has the mother hold the arms down and I have to hold the feet down. He starts tickling this kid. And it, he was laughing. 
And the laughing turned to frustration. The frustration turned to him peeing his pants. And then he was spitting, coughing, puking. His kid was just going berserk until he broke out into an absolute rage. And the screaming and the hollering and the hate statements and and he just drags all this hostility out. And then he deals with it as a therapist. You know how I responded to that session? This is cool. And I wanted to get certified in it. Well, the President of the United States didn't. I mean, this guy was a genius. But I'm not sure at the time I understood for who exactly. But I saw the results. Session, child after child, videotapes I had to study, reading his books. I saw the results. So I decided to try this on Abby. You remember it, Abby? Did it work? Did it heal you? Oh yeah. It worked. Oh, you would have been great in rage therapy, girl. We would have pinned you down, and you'd be spitting and coughing and fussing with us. Yes. Oh, I saw I saw some very very crazy sessions. I mean, I I could after that session he leaves and you know whatever and so he walks out with his patient you know and I'm still in the office so I'm trying to move some. His lamps were screwed down. His books were glued to the to the bookshelves. The whole office was fake. You know, and I tried to replicate the model down in Colorado Springs. And it worked. I've got endless stories of bringing children to rage within split seconds. I know how to do it. Does that not contradict provoke not your children to wrath? I didn't know of that verse then. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm just, I'm like, well, the principle was this. Externally, because here, here's where it went. I called him one time. I was very frustrated with this young man in Colorado Springs, and, and he was your classic rage child, and we were afraid he was going to be a serial killer. Honestly, that's what we were afraid of. And so I called him, and he says, here's what you need to do, Steve. You, know, you need to go get... Um, a punching bag and need to get these these great big they were styrofoam boxing gloves and then the styrofoam bats and then here's how you handle rage therapy in an external physical object and I said please show me I'll, I'll do whatever I have to do for this kid so I ordered these items of course who was selling these he was, he was of course so I get these items, the big boxing gloves and the big bat 
You know, we even used this in marriage sessions where we'd have them hit each other to get this rage out. Okay, now now stay with me on this. Someone please tell me the violation of using external things like that to get at internal things to deal with the rage in order to progress that person into health. So I knew later I was had destroyed the foundation of Abby's way of dealing with anger. I knew it. And the Lord had even told me I was going to have to release her to the Lord personally to have her come to that same conclusion. Watch Abby use external anger devices to grow herself. It's not only fruitless, it's demonic. I was a part of a study program that was probably the most demonic in the entire field of psychology. As an indwell Christian, I am promoting demonic principles. Not realizing that I was cushioning myself under a very demonic and evil method of getting at rage. The rage that Abby had inside her can only be dealt with by indwelling peace. By promoting and provoking her rage, I was throwing her deeper and deeper into demonic control. And us patriarchs have got to look at that and go, wait a minute, what have we done here? This has got to stop. Here. Because I stepped into a demonic way of management that invested a demonic pattern in her life that is being passed to the children. They're watching this whole thing. They're experiencing it as truth. Until I saw it in Abby's life, all these stupid legalistic things I did with her to help her get that rage out of her as a child, and I'm the one that put it in there. I can own that today. But I couldn't back then. This is critical, guys. This discipline thing, where do we get our method? Is our method a method of madness? Demonic? Is our method from Jesus Christ and the life source in a marriage relationship with Him? We are required by the Lord not to merely look out for our own personal interests, but also the interests of those around us. This cannot happen unless we are devoted to each other and every body member by making use of the love of God, who is God, that indwells us. And this is true and honorable giving before the Lord. Give in. Forgive in. Have you ever wondered about that word? Many years ago, I was pleading with the Lord, and I was being required by my discipler to extend forgiveness to my father. He had me list out the things that I believe my father did to me that hurt me the most. There were 18 items. And there were some pretty nasty things, Mike, on this list. But down that list... But what do you think I found in that list years later? Rage. Rage. And then I 
think that Abby is responsible for these little rage things that she was in when she was a kid? Not. I gave that to her. My father gave it to me. There is a first generation where demons manifest new sins to be passed down to the generations to come. That is true. But when I can see it in my father's list and see it in my daughter's list, that's a significant connection for me. Do you see how it works? So when Keith said to me, you need to forgive him, this becomes a significant foundational teaching for me. So when Keith shares with me the original meaning of forgiving, it's giving before someone has a chance to give to you. In other words, I need to forgive my father. I need to give God to him before he has a chance to give God to me. So you want to talk about competition? He who's first shall be last and last shall be first. It is opposite of the demonic doctrines. Opposite of the demonic doctrines. You let people win at chess. You let people win at Monopoly. You let people win at card games. You let people win at life. You let people slap you. You let people. Don't turn away him who is evil. That is a real verse. It's opposite of demonic doctrine. To realize my father got sucked in as a preacher's kid. My grandfather was a preacher. He actually was a church reformer. For my father to get sucked into the opposite of what he was taught was victory for Satan. It's in the numbers, bro. Truth of the matter is, that piece of information has to be used by God to bring him to the point of further confession and further desirous of being set free in Christ Jesus. And he did ultimately get saved, supposedly. He did ask the right question, and he got set free. He died pretty passive. He died pretty secretive. And he died, with, to my knowledge, without sharing his story with anyone. So whether he's truly saved, that's going to be God's call, obviously. I do hope to see him again on the other side, but there are no guarantees of that. No testimony came forth. I heard one from him, but I didn't hear a public testimony. So why do we baptize people and, and bring them out of the water and then have them share with the entire body of Christ? Why is there scripture says, Confess thy sin therefore to one another, pray for one another, because the effectual prayers of a righteous man prevaileth much. So now let's piece it down. Edifying those around us requires a discipline that is beyond our own resources. Edification is a manifestation of Christ inside the believer. It is not something that we can learn, practice, or drum up from our own resources. To edify is actually a spiritual term. So edification in Christ Jesus is something that comes out of the spirit of the life of Christ. So when I edify someone, it should be 
the Holy Spirit using my resources, which are his resources, to build the person up. But God is always interested in reducing the person down. Someone please tell me why. Why are we blessed with gifts to edify when he is always focused on reducing the person to Galatians 6.3? The most incredible warrior is the one you've broken down the most. There's no thought processes between the command and the carrying out the command. None. Nothing. So when God just says, speak, you do it. There's no processing it. There's no analyzing it. There's no figuring out the truth. No checking to see if God's really telling the truth. It's God speaks and you do it. Those are your best spiritual warriors there are. But a lot of people are thinking right now, if I was you, is you'd be thinking, now wait a minute here. How do we know it's God? Well, that's a good question. These principles of life, and there are many more, point to the inward, the life of Christ, and secondly, to those around us. We live in a cynical world that says, there's no free lunch, everyone has an angle. You know, same thing we're, we're projecting on God. Is, is this really God I'm hearing? Why should I obey if I'm not sure it's God? And that's where we get tripped up. Simple facts are, sadly, even into all Christians function after the flesh with the skeptical cliches of Christendom. In fact, in the eyes of the world, if you are an evangelical into all Christian, particularly those of us who are ministers, our unselfishness may be all the more in suspect. People of the world are constantly watching for the real deal. And those that minister the word to others. Well, who is the one that is determining that excellence? The person analyzing, critiquing. So they're saying they're God. It's a standard set by someone doing the observing. That's when Satan really works then the place that he really works the best is in that level of analysis. He is from the tree of knowledge. He has to use knowledge to figure out truth. Won't ever work. Edifying others. When we allow the life of Christ in us to do the edifying of those around us, it needs to be known that it rubs in the face of worldly skepticism. In other words, it is a supernatural insight of someone's stuff they're going through. To be able to know that the spiritual intuition you're being given is from Christ Jesus and you're speaking into that person's life and they're like, this guy been reading my mail? No, I've been hearing from God. Because you won't hear from God. God has to get someone to hear him so he can tell it to you. Do you understand that? If the person doesn't hear God, they won't obey instantly. No processing, nothing in the way, instantly. So what happens? We have to be put in the position of hearing the truth from a human, particularly a leader. And the enemy goes, well, I can put an end to that too. 
I can have that person wounded by that leader, and pretty soon they're insulting that leader, and they start this little game of competition that destroys the leader and the student. Simple facts are people are seeking true love from the believer. Yes, that is true, and we're supposed to give them true God, but the fact is, if you just get it from that believer, you're going to shortchange them. You love on people, give God to people only long enough until they are getting it from God through God themselves. Then you become an exhorter, growing them. You see? That's how it's supposed to work. To treat another person as more important than themselves requires the believer to tap into the source of life that is beyond their own abilities. It is the life source inside the believer because they are betrothed, married to Christ. Betrothment, life source, and method. There's only those three things that even matter in life today. Method, discipline, being betrothed, what locks in the relationship, with the source. Fact is, I believe this is one of the most in, most ignored verses in the entire Bible. This is Galatians six three, one you hear me preach on quite a bit. But the Christian world today has focused their ministry efforts on helping Christians to be something and all that they can be. All things work together for the good to those that love Jesus Christ. Well, it's almost like I can do all things through Christ Jesus strengthens me. Well, if you try to run your flesh through Christ, when you get on the other side of that filter, you're not going to have 90% of the self-effort that is inside your mortal body. But we use it like it's a signature on a check. I can do all things through Christ's signature. That's called gambling, folks. That's called usury. That's like taking Jesus Christ's name and doing stab it and slab it, name it and claim it, prosperity doctrines and all this garbage that is in the church today, signing Christ's name to these demonic doctrines and turn around and preaching them like they're in the foundation of the doctrines of God. And people are buying into them. Name it, claim it, standing on chairs, shouting out praise and, and honor to God. And then the next day they're robbing, stealing, conniving, competing, and destroying the church in which they were standing in the day before praising. That's what's going on. And not even thinking twice about it. Using God like he's a slot machine. Well, I'd like to see our living God kowtow or bow to your demands. I'd like to watch that one. It's almost like we're saying the same thing Satan said. I can do a better job of running this whole thing than you. And you know what? We're doing it in the church. We're ordering God around like he's a four-year-old. And the majority of the doctrines of our church are based on idiots, people who think they're smart but when they're really stupid. That is the definition of an idiot. Idiots running around using demonic doctrines like they're some kind of foundational truths of heaven. 
It's idolatry. I know I speak as if insane, but the truth is God works to lead us to nothingness while his church is working against him to produce self-satisfied and sufficient believers. And how did those evil demonic doctrines get inside of our church today of teaching Christians self-satisfaction and self-effort really does pay? This is how it's done, is to resist the brokenness process that God wants to take us through. But in this slide it says Christ is clear about putting all those who desire to be first place to be put into last place. He goes on to tell us that those who refuse to compete in the Christian world and work to be in last place shall be what? Put in first place. I can't tell you how many times I've had someone say to me, did you let me win? Because I came from a highly competitive background, God's showing me this, and having my mentor say to me, you actually need to play games to lose. And that made absolutely no sense to me. And so, after it made sense to me, Then I began to realize how that is the most edifying form of Christianity is by losing. Lifting someone up above you. Higher place. That is edification. And Christ did it for Pete's sake. I don't know why Peter always gets credit for this, but Christ did that. He'd get on his knees and he'd wash the feet, stay lower than... I mean, when a rabbi brought us head below you, that was a serious deal. You always stayed a little lower than the rabbi's head. And Jesus went down to the feet, the dirtiest part of the human body. An indwelt believer cannot embrace and ask Christ to reduce them to nothing unless Christ is first in all things in that person's life. Once we apply such discipline, we who have strong faith can then shoulder the burden and conflicts of others. Why? Because we're going to stay in last place. The safest, most peaceful place to be is in last place. There's nothing to worry about. Someone coming up behind you. You're you're in last place. I'm a loser. And what do our parents teach us? Win, win, win. Stay in first place. Better grades. Win, win, win. Success. 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 Why? Well, we've got to keep the enlightenment movement going. Satan's an angel of light. The believer is to be a living example of genuine love in order for others to ask the big question. Where do you get this kind of love? And we can say... What they're really asking is, where do you get this kind of God? Then it becomes evangelism. I'll tell you where I get this kind of love. God. Christ in me. And you share the power of the cross. If you're like most believers, when you are selfless, you are fulfilled in ways mankind cannot offer. True selfless living edifies itself. It's so simple that true self-life, selfless life, edifies itself. 
The best way you can edify through your own choices is through losing. You're edified by Christ in you. Then you're going to want to be in last place in the person that's right in front of you. So they're edified. And then they want to reduce down to washing people's feet. And then they're edified. And then they'll want to be reduced down to washing feet. And that's how it's passed down through the generations of true humility. Which is, Hebrew definition of humility is being less than human. Humility comes from less than human. So you're saying, I am less than human. And that's why Christ reduced himself, emptied himself out as the Godhead to be lesser than man. He didn't only come in the form of man, he dropped himself a couple notches below man's head. That'll blow your mind. So here's our questions for today. What examples do you have of truly giving God's love away to others? Number two, and what ways do you seek to build up others? Number three, what ways are you quick to build yourself up before others? Number four, exactly how disciplined are you in regard to not I but Christ? And not I but Christ puts you in last place and him in first place. Number five, what specific person in your life needs to be built up emotionally and or spiritually? And of course, number six is a goodie. And that is edification, is edification something that you practice or is it a result? Meaning if you're practicing edification, you're offering them nothing more or less than flesh. But if it was a result of what's happened to you in Christ Jesus, Galatians 6, 3, it's a gift. It's a result. You give what has been given to you. Not mustered up, practice, or learn about it. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.